get you some ice cream and cookies and I don't know what other serving, but if it's sweet, I like it. Acts chapter 7, let's start at the end of the chapter. Verse 57. It says, Then they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they ran at him with one accord. The hymn that we're speaking of here is Stephen, one of the early disciples of Christ. It says, And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Verse number 1 of chapter 8 says, now Saul was consenting to his death. Now look at verse number 3 of chapter 8. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Look at chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, I, I like how that's worded right there, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Wow. What I ever do to you? What'd they ever do to him? I mean, here's a man who is so enraged and so passionate about what he believed to be right. Persecuting the early followers of Christ. Doing all within him to make sure that those who were of the way were bound, imprisoned, maybe even murdered standing on the, the sideline with a smile on his face and a nod, giving approval as they stoned Stephen. And then they brought the clothes to his feet. He was one of the top persecutors of the early church. This man called Saul of Tarsus. But, look at chapter 9 and verse number 20 says immediately he preached we're talking about Saul here still immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God then all who heard were amazed and they said is this not the same guy who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and now has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Father, we thank you for your word today. It is so full of power. It is so full of strength. And it always does what you send it to do. 
It always accomplishes, God, what you want it to accomplish. And I pray that that would be so. Let there be no barriers. Let there be no walls, God. Change us. Turn us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Come on, say amen. Wow. Folks, that's what I call a radical turnaround. So how does one go from making havoc for the church, as the scripture described, and breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, how does one go from that to proving that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ? I want to suggest to you today, it's all in the turnaround. It's all in the change. Today I want us to look at the turnaround of just one person. We've been talking about God turning our lives around, inside and out, and that, that uh, starting a chain reaction and turning our world around, but I want to just focus on the turnaround of one turning the apostle around. Let's look at this turnaround. Again, I want you to keep your Bible right there in front of you. Lots of scripture today. Look at chapter 9 and verse number 3. It says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, and he fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And he was there for three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus, named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here am I, Lord. Somebody say, Here am I, Lord. I love that line, Here am I, Lord. Ananias said, Here am I, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise, go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias 
went his way, entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And he arose and he was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Turning one life around. You don't know the potential that lies in that coworker that you see every day, week in and week out. You don't know the future that God may have for that cantankerous family member. How many have cantankerous family members? Mm-hmm, I think we all do. You don't know what God's plan is for that one. That mean neighbor that you really don't want to have anything to do with and the only time you pray for them is you pray that God would move them somewhere else. Oh, I know nobody wants to hear that today. What if God has a plan to radically turn something through that one? It's what he did with Saul. That's what he did with this one man. There are four steps in the apostles' turnaround that I believe will be helpful to us in reaching out to those in our world. We're turning our atlas around one person at a time. First of all, look at this. There was, step one, a righteous revelation. Now, I put a righteous revelation because Saul was receiving revelation. It just wasn't righteous revelation. He thought he was doing what was the best thing that could be done. He was preventing this people group and this new radical belief to infiltrate the communities and the cities. He was doing the government a favor. He was doing the, the towns a favor. He thought he was doing what was right, but his revelation was wrong. Folks, in order to see lives turned around, we've got to have a righteous revelation. The revelation that came to Saul, first of all, Jesus revealed himself. Look at verse number 5 again there in your Bible. And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The first revelation that needs to come is the revelation of who Jesus is. And Jesus stands ready to reveal himself, just as he did to the apostle that day. He wants to reveal himself to the world. He did it in two ways. He did it by light. Verse number 3, Suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. I believe this light that was shining was Jesus trying to reveal himself to Saul. 
You see, John chapter 8 and verse number 12, it says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus revealed himself to Saul by way of light. He said that I am the light of the world. And he wants to reveal himself by light yet today. So how is that accomplished? Let me read you something else. It's uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse number 14. Look at this. You are the light of the world. I'm not talking out of both sides of my mouth right now, saying that Jesus said he was the light of the world, and now he's saying we are the light of the world. It's, it's both are true. Both are accurate. Jesus is the light of the world, and now he's saying we are the light of the world. The way that that happens is we accept Christ, and we house his spirit in us. Or did you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So we are now carrying the light of the world into the darkness. The sad thing, there are many people who keep the drapes pulled so nobody sees the light. Many people keep the windows closed and the doors barricaded and the light of Christ that is in you is never seen in the darkness. You are the light of the world. Goes on to say in verse number 16 of Matthew chapter 5, let your light so shine so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The first righteous revelation that came, Jesus revealed himself. He did it by light. He did it also by voice. Verse number 4, then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, folks, I have never audibly heard the voice of the Lord. I know some say they have. They've heard a voice. I have never. And I don't pray necessarily that I will. If God wants to speak to me audibly, that's fine. I think it would be pretty cool. But there's a day coming when I'll hear his audible voice. And I'll hear it for all eternity, so I don't have to hear it while I walk on earth. I've heard his voice in other ways. <laughs> he speaks to me through his word. He speaks to me through my times in prayer. He speaks to me through his other sons and daughters. Oh, I've heard his voice. I just haven't heard the audible voice of the Lord. But he spoke by voice to Saul. Saul was used to hearing the voice of reason. Saul was used to hearing the voice of religion. He was used to hearing the voice of the world. He was used to hearing the voice of selfishness. But this particular day, he heard a whole nother voice. He heard the same voice that spoke the world into existence, the same voice that had called Adam in the garden. Saul, on that day, heard the same voice that had spoken to Noah, telling him to build an ark and save mankind. This same voice had spoken to Abraham, leading him to a new land and promising, promising him that he would be the father of many nations. Saul heard the same voice that spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai and gave him the law for God's people. God, uh, Saul heard the same voice that spoke to Lazarus from the grave, calling him back to life and commanding him to rise from the dead. 
Saul heard the same voice that raised the widow's son at name. The same voice that called to some dirty fisherman, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This same voice said, peace be still to the winds and waves and they had to obey his command. This same voice caused soldiers to fall backward in the garden of Gethsemane. This same voice cried out with arms stretched out on a wooden cross, it is finished as he paid the price of redemption on the cross. And this same voice, ladies and gentlemen, will one day speak to us one of two things. Well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you. I don't know about you, but I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. Aren't you thankful for the voice of God in your life? Let him speak to you. Jesus wants to reveal himself to you just as he did to Saul that day. Not only did he reveal himself to Saul, he also revealed Saul's sin. The second righteous revelation that came that day was the revealing of sin. Verse 5 again, he said, Who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. There are two kinds of sin, commission and omission. Sins that we commit, things that we do that we know we should not do, things that we do that are contrary to the Word of God, things that we say that we ought not say, places we go we know we should not go. These are sins that we commit. And God is gracious to forgive us of all of our sins if we confess our sins. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But what about the sins of omission? What do you, what do you mean, Pastor, omission? Things we fail to do that we should have done. Things we did not say that God wanted us to say. Have you ever been prompted by the Lord to go somewhere and you failed to do it? I have done that. I knew the Holy Spirit was prompting me, but I did not obey. Folks, if we do not obey God, it is sin, plain and simple. When God wants us to say something, He's already orchestrated and, and manipulated and maneuvered, and it's all a setup. All He wants us to do is just be the voice. And if we miss it, we're in disobedience. And it's, it's a sin. It's a sin of omission. A righteous revelation came to this man that day. It was his sin. You're persecuting me, and I'm real. He revealed the wrong in Saul's life. And just as he revealed the wrong in Saul's life, he wants to reveal the wrong in our life. That's why the Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit will convict and convince and reveal these areas of wrong in our lives, both sins that we commit and sins that are omitted. We just must then go to the Father and ask the Father to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
Jesus revealed himself, he revealed Saul's sin, and he also revealed his will. The third righteous revelation that came to Saul that day was God's will. How many want to know what God's will is in your life? Let me see your hand this morning. You want to know what God's will is in your life. I want to know. God wants to reveal it. God will reveal it. He's not keeping it a mystery. He's not keeping it hidden. He's not keeping it a secret. It's just sometimes we may not like what He reveals. Listen to this. Verse 6, so he saw trembling and astonished. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, he told him what his will was, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do next. You might be thinking, well, that's really pretty vague right there. That doesn't tell a lot about God's will. God did not want to tell him at that particular time what was going to happen in the city. If he wanted Saul to know what was going to happen in the city, he would have told Saul right there. He just said, get up and go to the city. Get up and walk. Take one step, then take another step. That, ladies and gentlemen, happens to be God's will. Sometimes he says, just go forward. Just keep doing what's right. And you just take a step. And you take another step, and you take another step in the right direction, and before long, you can look back and you can see God guiding you into His will for your life. And you didn't even know it was God's will, because all He said to you was, get up and go into the city. We want to know, well, what are you going to say to me once I get to the city? What are you going to do when I, when I get to the city? He says, I'm not going to tell you that right now. It's none of your business right now. I just want to see if you'll obey me right here when I say take one step. Yes, Hallelujah. Take another step. Take another step. You know what? Sometimes God doesn't let us know what he's going to do down here. God doesn't let us know what he's going to do in the city because if he showed us what he was going to do in the city, we'd run someplace else. We'd be so overwhelmed with what God's plan is for us, we'd run and hide. We try to hide. You can't hide. You can't hide. But we try. That's too big for me. That's too much for me. I can't do that. I tell you right now, church, I would have ran had God showed me. I probably would have never come to California. Can I just be vulnerable with you? Can I be a little bit transparent with you? If God had showed me that in 2011 I would be pastoring a church in Southern California, I'd have stayed in Chicago, I'd have ran home to Terre Haute, Indiana because it was too much for me, it's too big for me. But one step after another, God said, just trust me right here. Just trust me right here. Just trust me right here. And all at once, he's led me into his will. He's led me into the city. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He knew I couldn't handle the whole picture. He knew I couldn't. It would overwhelm me to see all that he was going to do. And, and I wouldn't have seen all, all the, the details in the meantime. Him putting on me what I needed. Him chiseling off of me that which I don't need. Just trust him when he says, get up and go to the city. Don't worry about what's going to happen there. Just get up and start taking a step in the right direction. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
God wants to reveal Himself to us. God, by His Holy Spirit, wants to reveal our sin to us. And God has no problem revealing His will to us. Righteous revelation came to Saul that day. It was followed by the right response. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Number two, the right response. Folks, when revelation comes, a response is required. And I'll say this, not only is a response required, a response will be given. It's just, will it be the right response? We'll all respond, and you can say, well, I, I, I'm not going to respond. Well, by not responding, you just responded. You just responded improperly by not responding. When a revelation comes and when God speaks, when Jesus starts speaking to us and revealing himself by light and by voice and by other, a response is required, folks. Will it be right or will it be wrong? Saul responded properly. What is the proper response, ladies and gentlemen? I do want an answer right here. Thank you. Somebody say that. Karen, say it. Oh, yes. Obedience is the right response. Whether you think it makes sense or not. Whether you like what God told you to do or not. I remember when I called Karen, she was at the bank. She was working at a bank. And I said, you'll never guess who invited us to come and look at the church in California. Now, California might as well have been any African country that you can think of right now. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? I mean, really, it is like a foreign country. So far from the Midwest and a lot of miles away, you know. We heard a lot about fruits and nuts in California, you know. <laughs> And flakes sound like a cereal. We're going to a land of cereal, fruit, nuts, and flakes, you know. I love California. I'm one of them. I mean, I'm not busting on California. Believe me. I'm the chief of the fruits and nuts and flakes, you know. <laughs> Jim, I remember, though, she said, if you think I'm going to California, you're crazy. You're crazy. Watch what you say. Watch what you say to God. Watch what you say out loud. I said, no, 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 I know. I said, isn't it funny? I know. I don't, I don't want to go to California. That didn't make any sense to me. Go to California? There's so many, so many people groups in Indiana and Illinois, and Missouri, and a, a place that I was familiar and a little bit more comfortable. Maybe that's the point. But as we prayed, we knew we had to respond, and we wanted to respond properly. We wanted to obey and let God lead us wherever He saw fit, knowing that He knows what's best for us, folks. Saul responded properly. 
Verse 8, Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. He was blinded. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Saul obeyed even though he didn't know what was next. He didn't know why God was leading him there. He didn't know who he was going to meet there. He just obeyed. Wow. Saul wasn't the only one that obeyed, uh, uh, responded properly and obeyed. Ananias also had the right response. You see, Ananias was a disciple. He was an early follower of Christ. And God knew that he could count on him. So look at verse number 11. The Lord said to Ananias, Arise and go to a street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is there and he's praying. And in a vision, he has seen you, a man named Ananias, coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Uh-huh. Now, folks, you need to look at this in verse number 14. Ananias, well, let me back up to verse 13. Ananias said back to the Lord. You ever talk back to the Lord? Yes. Well, I'm glad they put this in here because it actually gave me a little bit of relief. I'm not the only one that wants to make sure God understands what I'm going through. Oh, come on, you know you do the same thing. Ananias is like, now, Lord, uh, I, I've heard about this man, verse 13, about how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on him. Are you sure that you want me to go to him? I've heard about this guy. There's a chance that I could be bound and thrown into prison, and it might get worse than that. They might kill me over this. Wow. But he obeyed. Ananias was obedient in the saving of this one. See, God, you got to see the bigger picture with God. You might be a pivotal player in the passing through of one's life in them coming to Christ. But you have to be obedient. You're praying for that one that you work with. You're praying for that family member. But you have a part to play. And when this revelation comes to you, will you respond properly? Will you be obedient, even if it means humiliation, even if it means persecution? Respond right. This led to the next step, which was real repentance as opposed to fake repentance. See, there's lots of people talking about repentance, but true repent repentance will be seen and not heard. Repenting is turning. This is the turnaround for this man. Real repentance. Even though we don't read of Paul saying a sinner's prayer and praying for forgiveness, we see the fruit of repentance. We see the results of the turnaround in his life. The Bible says that Ananias laid his hands on him and he prayed over him. The Bible tells us that Saul was 
filled with the Holy Spirit. Scales fell off of his eyes. He immediately received his sight. He was baptized, and immediately he began to preach. I'm going to say it again. Real repentance will be seen, not heard. Which led to the fourth step in the apostle turning around. Relentless resolve. A determination that no matter what, I have got to let people know. Because of the radical turnaround that happened in Saul's life, he was determined to let others know of Jesus Christ no matter what. And not everybody liked his decision. Not everybody was excited that he was now a follower of Christ. He was one of the leaders of the persecution. He was one of the ones that they would bring the clothes to. They wanted approval from him. Wow. Verse number 23, I want you to look at it. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Sometimes suffering is involved, folks, but we have to have a resolve. It needs to be a relentless resolve, a determination. People that I work with are dying, and I've got to do something about it. People in my family are lost, and I've got to do something about it. We come to church and we get fed and we get fat and we get healed and we get happy and we get our shandai on and we forget that there's lost people all around us. God, renew a, a, a resolve and a relentlessness in us that we've got to let people know the good news. People are in darkness all around you. You see them every day. We've got to let them know. We've got to tell them Jesus is the way. Jesus said, when he spoke to Ananias in the vision, look at verse 16, I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And boy, did that happen. Saul who later became Paul, the Apostle Paul. He suffered like few others have ever suffered for the sake of the gospel. I read this last week, but I felt it bore repeating. It is 2 Corinthians 11, starting with verse 22. He says the Apostle Paul at this time. Are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I must be out of my mind to talk like this. I speak as a fool, he says. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes, above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things. What comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. The apostles' resolve, although it was relentless, it was challenged by people in his life. I'm giving you fair warning today, church. Yours will be too. Not everyone will like your decision to be a follower of Christ. Not everyone will like you sharing the good news. But we must share it anyway. Our resolve may be challenged by our family. Our resolve will be challenged by co-workers and friends maybe. Your resolve will be challenged by the world, I promise you. And make no mistake about it, there's an enemy that will never stop challenging your resolve. Let it be relentless. Because it's that relentless resolve that changed one person's life around. One man who went on to turn cities around. Because of the turning of the apostle, radical shift, going from wreaking havoc on the church and threatening the disciples with murder to preaching that Jesus is in fact the Christ. That's a radical turn, radical turnaround, which resulted in Cities, entire cities turning. You see the wheels turning? His wheel turned. And it, it started a chain reaction of, of wheels turning. Entire cities were turned upside down and turned around because of one. I want you to close your eyes and think of the five people that you will be inviting Five is just the minimum. If you want to invite 25, please do so. Get on Facebook and invite some of your Facebook friends. Send out email blitzes to all those in your address book, your email address book. Come on, pick up these great, great postcards that Pastor Moses has put together, making it easy for you. To share the gospel. There's no excuse, folks. See the people in your world that you're going to invite. There should be one that kind of rises to the top. One that you'll think of first. Maybe it's that co-worker. Maybe it's a family member. Who is that? I want you to see at least one person in particular. And I want you to zero in on that person. Only God knows what their true destiny is. 
Only God knows what the purpose of their life will be. What if he wants to use you as an Ananias? All he's looking for is your obedience, your right response. I want you to pray for that one that you're thinking of so strongly right now. Go ahead and whisper their name to God. Come on and whisper their name right now. Plead the blood of Jesus over them. Ask that the Holy Spirit till the soil of their heart and soul, preparing you for pre preparing them for what you might say to them this coming week. Now I want you just to lift your hands all over this congregation. I'm going to ask that God anoints us. Come on and lift your hands. Hallelujah. Father God, I pray that you would blanket us with your presence and with your power. We need your help so desperately, Lord. And I'm asking for your anointing, which is just your ability applied to us. Anoint our hands, God, that we reach out with compassion and care to those we come in contact. Lord, anoint our feet, Lord, that they would be guided by you. Lead us, God, in, in, in paths of righteousness for your name's sake, Lord. Lead us to people and conversations that we are able to share the good news of the gospel. We pray that you would anoint our tongue, our lips, our words, our voice, that what we speak, God, would be prompted by you. It would be filled with compassion and love. We pray, Holy Spirit, that even now you would go ahead of us. Work this soil, till the ground, prepare the hearts, that they would readily respond in the right way. They would accept the invitation to come to the house of God. And God, that you would do the miraculous, that you would one more time turn a life around. We're claiming our co-workers for Jesus. We are claiming today our family for Jesus. We are claiming our neighborhood for Jesus. We are claiming whoever you're thinking of right now, just say, I claim them for Jesus. Come on, let's just believe that their life is going to be radically turned around on Palm Sunday, on Good Friday, on Easter, on this holiday season, on this Easter holiday season. Hallelujah. Why not? We'll start a chain reaction of turning in the office place, in the workplace, in the neighborhood, and in the family. Father, we thank you for this radical and wonderful turnaround. We believe you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone standing. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful for the God that is able to turn our lives around just one life at a time? Hallelujah. God bless you, everyone. Thank you so much for being in God's house with us today and worshiping with us. If you're a guest, let me remind you one more time, please stop by our hospitality desk. We have a gift for you. We're really glad you came. Come back tonight. Another great service is in store for us. Until then, God bless, everybody.